Joe, how do you say it in Japanese? Sakisha ga mukashi no kutsu o yomu. And how do you say it in English? Writer's League de Ori s. Thanks, man. Welcome back to Writers Read Their Early Shit Conversations with authors and artists about the lopsided pleasures of their pre developed, over early, unripe Star Wars work. I'm your host, Jason Emby, and my special guest this episode is a writer and teacher and Best of the Net nominee and a graduate of the University of Pennsylvania and the University of British Columbia, which is where I got to meet him, though we've never actually met. He's the author of the poetry collection To Drown a Man and the novel When Fire Splits the Sky, forthcoming next year from Unsolicited Press. Even though we have the same favorite punctuation mark, he's still got a bad feeling about this. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Tyler James Russell. Hi, Tyler. Hey, Jason. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you for that. Oh, it's my pleasure. I got a good feeling about this, though, I think. Oh, yeah? Well, a good feeling about the show and a very bad feeling about the Star Wars fan fiction I'm going to read later. See, I'm the, I'm the opposite. Uh, well, I spent all last <laughs> week jotting down potential Star Wars quips, right? Like, what could I say that, you know, especially in the intro, do I describe the University of Pennsylvania as, the, as a hive of scum and villainy? Or is that not fair? It, it, it might be fair. It might be fair. See, I um, I thought about doing that and I went, you know, it's it's so just in my bloodstream that I'll I'll trust that, you know, like the Metachlorians, it'll just come out at the right time. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and I've heard your Metachlorian count is off the charts. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We'll yeah. see. All right. Asteroids do not concern you. Okay. I got a couple of questions for you. This is get very tiresome very quickly, but try to rein it in. Do you think people generally, readers anyway, do they become less snobbish or more snobbish as they get older? You know, I think with music, you turn to sort of narrow your choices. At least I know I have, you know, you sort of quit buying new music because Number one, it's all shit. And number two, <laughs> number two, like, there's, I, you know, whatever it is, the comfort you get from the stuff that, that you love the most, right? Mm-hmm. But I find that with reading, my, my reading has really widened as I got older uh, in, in, in exact inverse proportion to <laughs> what a snob I've become about music, right? What, do you think that's, that people do widen as they, they're reading as they get older? I, th- it, I, it, it seems like it. I don't know if it's a, a product of, uh, of, you know, reading for a long time or if it is just a product of, you know, growing up and, and hopefully becoming a, a more open hearted person. I think I, I look back and I, I wanted to have my name on a book that I had written um, from the time that I was really little. And looking back, I think I there's that period of time where you're sort of talking about the books you love or the bands you love, but you do it by talking about how bad these other things are. Um, And I think, you know, at this stage of my life, I find it so um, off-putting to speak badly about the, you know, the creative work of another person. And so Mm. I think a lot of this, this wide uh, reading a lot more widely, um, I can just, 
I can identify and appreciate so many more things about what people are doing. It was easy for me as a, you know, I, I remember being so put off um, by some prose that I would read in like a, a commercial work um, when I thought that I was, you know, the the writer of writers at 20 or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, the ability to get someone to turn a page and want to continue turning pages mm-hmm. um, is remarkable. That is not an easy thing to do. And I think sometimes, you know, as, as maybe an immature person or a young writer, um, we tend to turn our noses up at that quite a lot, kind of saying, well, yeah, now this is, if all you're trying to do is tell an engaging story, then sure, I could do that. But what if I had a book with no plot whatsoever? Right. I could do that. I just choose not to. I just don't want to. Beach novels for morons. Yeah. Airport <laughs> novels. Okay. Well, that I wasn't planning to ask this, but, you know, okay, you're an English teacher. You made it this far without reading 1984. Do you have any, see, I don't believe in guilty pleasures. I believe whatever, you know, you enjoy reading. Well, there are some that you should feel guilty about life of pie, et cetera. But, um, you know, read whatever the fuck you want. But I do believe in guilty lapses, things that you should have read by now and haven't. For me, I've never read Hamlet. I'm guilty about that. Really? Okay. Uh, I've never read King Lear. I'm guilty about that. I've never read, well, this could go on for days, but I've never read Moby Dick and I'm slightly guilty about that. Anyway, the list goes on. What are your sort of top three or four? This is good. Um, well, I've I've never read 1984. That's a big one. That one comes up a lot. I feel mm. like... We people talk about that one a lot. And I, you know, and I'm I'm the English teacher and I just I kind of I used to keep quiet about it, but now I kind of like, yeah, you know, I, ne- I never read that one. I read Moby Dick so that I could say I read Moby Dick. Mm. A funny one was I I don't teach it right now. I taught Frankenstein for many years. Um, and it was one of the only books that I skipped in high school. I spark noted that thing in high school and didn't read it. And then <laughs> And was telling students why they had to read it, even though I didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, I I have not read King Lear. Let's see, what are some of the big big classics? And I I only um, only in the last twelve months or so um, have I read any of the Russians. Um, I only touched Tolstoy and Dostoevsky um, here in the last twelve months, and that that felt like I had somehow gotten way too far oh i guess another one would be paradise lost i've always wanted to read paradise lost but i feel like not having uh i feel like i'd benefit from reading that in a class and so i feel like each year that goes on that i'm not enrolled in a program it becomes less and less likely that i'm ever going to read that book Mm, right yeah i see i've read that and 1984 uh what about how about you oh I was supposed to, uh, a, a friend of mine, an English friend of mine here in, in Japan, he's a great reader. And this year we were going to read uh, War and Peace, at, you know, sort of mm. at the same, t- not together, but at the same time. I was distracted with school stuff and didn't, haven't got around to it yet. And so he, he read it, of course. Um, so I don't know. I can't speak for Tolstoy. I will say that both of us hate Dostoevsky and we get drunk. Uh-huh. We get drunk and sit around and talk about how much we hate Dostoevsky. And, <laughs> and, and, and my friend Tom will just say, fuck you, Russia. Like he's mad at the whole country because of Dostoevsky. That's the only reason he hates Russia is because of Dostoevsky. The rest no. of it is perfectly fine. Yeah. 
I did um I did the Brothers Karamazov um and then Anna Karenina. And I think I actually preferred, I was talking about this with somebody else. I think I preferred Dostoevsky because it was just a mess. You know, Anna Karenina is clean and and perfect. And the the brothers Karamazov is all over the place. Yeah. Um, and I I kind of preferred that messiness, I think. Hmm. Um, but now I, I enjoyed them both. Now I, I, it was one of those where I went, yeah, I, I did this. I should go for war and peace, but oh, there's, there's so many other books. <laughs> there's so many other books. Yeah. That's very read, true. Read 13 other books in that time. Speaking of, you know, enormous books that, you know, you could read 13 books or you could read that one. Did you ever read infinite jest? I have read infinite jest. Mm. I have that. That was the summer for me. That was a, I, I really love these, you know, door stopping books. Um, Mm -hmm. but then I sometimes feel that like, oh man, while I'm spending months on this one, there's so many other books that I'm not reading. So Mm -hmm. I I marked off a summer for infinite jest and honestly loved it. I, I think that that book reads so quickly for what it is. Agreed. I love that book too. And talk about a prose writer of heft and power. Good gracious me. He's, he's terrific. Yeah. I know that your favorite punctuation mark is the M dash. It's mine too. Good choice. Good taste. What what is your least favorite punctuation mark? Good question. Probably. I think the semicolon. Oh, really? I don't, I don't use it. I hardly ever use it. It feels very 19th century to me, I think. <laughs> so I, I end up not using it very much. Um, I also, I, I had a big Cormac McCarthy phase, you know, in my, my teens and twenties. And so I think that, that influenced some of my punctuation where I think my punctuation tends to be pretty simplistic. Hmm. Uh, and so there's not a once in a while there's a colon. I don't use a whole lot of semicolons. Um, and that's I think that's one of the things I love about the M dash is it's it's clean, it's new. Mm-hmm. Um I think it it forces us to look a little bit more closely as readers, maybe. Um, you know, whereas some of the other ones we're so used to it that we just kind of glide right on by. I think I I got interested in the dash i think probably after reading the beats uh ginsburg and kerouac specifically because kerouac would use that very often to break up measures of breath and thought actually and it seemed useful for that on the other hand i had a in my 20s an enormous faulkner binge bender era and (laughs) you know he would write these sentences that go on for pages and days and linked with, you know, infinite semicolons. So I sort mm-hmm. of, it's probably my second favorite. Once you learn how to use them, I think a lot of people don't like semicolons because, I mean, uh, educators don't, because people don't know how to use them. Yeah. And other people are afraid of screwing it up, so they shy away. But, okay, and then you mentioned Cormac McCarthy. Right. Um, well, here, I, I got to add, hmm. um, Kerouac. Kerouac is on my guilty list. I've never read Kerouac. Okay. Love Ginsburg, hmm. but I've never read Kerouac. And I, I read Falk. I had a Faulkner class in my undergraduate 
And um, I'll never forget the first book we read was The Sound and the Fury. Yeah. And, you know, I think I'm I'm hot stuff. I'm a freshman. I'm, you know, I'm <laughs> a genius. Yeah. I've got this. And I, you know, I show up and this is this the sound of the fury has just baffled me, completely baffled me. Hmm. And um, you know, we come in and we're supposed to all start these discussions and everyone's discussing brilliantly. And I'm trying to keep up. And the the professor says, So, you know, well, what what did you think uh when Quentin killed himself? And I flip back through the book. I'm going, when did that happen? That didn't dead? happen. He's what? dead? What, what was wrong? <laughs> what was going on? I didn't know Quentin was even in danger. Uh, so yeah, complete. And, you know, and, and he's, he's the narrating protagonist. Yeah. And I completely missed it. So Faulkner's, Faulkner's a good one, but I was very thankful to have a class when I was reading Faulkner. I, there's, there's, I'm, always obsessed with things that there aren't names for and there should be names for in English. There should be a word for when you, it doesn't necessarily have to be authors, but when you find an author or a book that is famously difficult, right? And everybody has a problem with it and so on. And then you pick it up and it instantly chimes with, I don't know, your thought patterns or, or whatever it is. And it's, it's a breeze. It's a pleasure, right? Um, my friend Tom, the guy who hates Dostoevsky, he's a huge James Joyce guy and has read Ulysses eight or okay. nine times, right? It's just for him, it's it's uh, it's like a slow walk to grandma's house. Whereas I really struggled with Ulysses a lot. I enjoyed it, but it was it was hard work. Whereas when I picked up Faulkner, I and the first one might have been Sound in the Fury. It it mm-hmm. yeah, it just it just chimed. Uh, and it was easy going, sort of. Well, easy going is maybe putting it a little too. Uh... There's, I mean, they <laughs> so, some of them click, and when they click, yeah, yeah, you're right. There's, I remember, um, it's it's one I always bring up because you know I uh, I teach high school, and you know students will complain when you know the the book's difficult and it's you know and you slog through it. Um, Absalom, Absalom. I remember with Faulkner just slogging through. 250 pages and having such a difficult time with it. And, you know, I, I was not enjoying it. And then those, those last like five pages, mm-hmm. um, the whole thing comes together. And it was one of the most deeply felt moments I've had finishing a book where I, I went, I did not enjoy almost any of this book. And I am so happy that I slogged through all of those moments to get to this point at the end, because this point at the end made the entire trip worth it. Now I want you to tell me just one thing more. Why do you hate the South? I don't hate it, Quentin said <laughs> quickly at once, immediately. I don't hate it, he said. I don't hate it, he thought, panting in the cold air, the iron New England dark. I don't, I don't, I don't hate it. I don't hate it. <laughs> there it is. Absalom, is it. Absalom for years was my favorite book. You know, when people okay. would say, what's your favorite book? That's what, because I love, that was, again, one I just picked up and locked in, clicked in right away and uh, never, I haven't gone back to it all the way through ever since. And it's been replaced by other things um, in the meantime, such as, I think if you, if you were to ask me, Tyler, Jason, what is your favorite book? What what is your favorite book, Jason? That's a great question. Thank Uh, you. I would probably say now Libra by Don DeLillo is my favorite novel. I I think I knew that about you. I think I would have given that answer. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Have you been reading my mail? Last question before your early shift. Okay. Please tell me about your relationship with Star Wars from the from the very beginning. <sighs> okay. Um. So I am of the special edition generation of Star Wars fans. Mm. So I discovered it um, with my dad when they were re-released in theaters in what was probably the the mid 90s yeah 95 96 i think around that time so yeah. um he took me to see a new hope i think i had actually gotten i think i'd gotten like an obi-wan kenobi action figure soon before this it, because I, I remember having this weird moment of you know here's this guy with a this old man in a monk's robe with a light sword and mm -hmm. i had no idea the the context of the story that he was in um which was in, in it was an interesting experience um but so you know he he took me then to see a new hope um oh, I was, at the time oh seven six seven so it was um i don't, I don't know exactly I, I was elementary school um but i always tell the story you know they they escaped the death star um they've rescued the princess and i'm so relieved because i've been so into it but i also terribly terribly have to use the bathroom and then they go back to yavin 4 and i'm like i think i think there's more that's going to happen i think mm. there's more story but i'm so i'm too into it that i i will not allow myself to go to the bathroom and so the entire death star trench run <laughs> was just an incredibly tense experience for me on 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 a cinematic level and a physical <laughs> level yeah level <laughs> so um yeah so i mean that was kind of when i became a fan and i i was a huge star wars fan all of all of growing up um, was your dad a fan also he was not as i don't think he was ever as big a fan as my brother and i became but yeah, we, you know, we would still watch them as a family and things like that. Mm -hmm. But then I also had the the weird experience then of when the prequel movies came out, you know, you're sort of adding to the canon. So my friends and I all had opinions about these as they came out, um, which has been interesting now to watch a new generation of fans as new movies come out. They have opinions about those, but not mm -hmm. so much about the, you know, I, I talked to high schoolers about Star Wars during the day and they don't really have opinions about the prequel movies because that's part of the canon that they became fans of. Right. Uh, whereas, you know, we, we bemoaned them as, as they came out. Okay. So, so you see the first one and you dig it and, and then they re-released Empire and Return of the Jedi too, didn't they? Did you go see those as well? I don't remember seeing those in theaters. We may have, um, I think it makes sense that we would have, I remember the the library down the street from us had the VHS tapes and um, getting those out near constantly. You know, we mm. have one, we would return it, we would get the next one and just cycling through them. But those were the 
the the original releases they didn't have any of the the new cgi scenes and stuff that, that lucas mm, had added right um but those were on a near constant rotation in our house for basically my entire childhood do you have a a favorite from the first three probably i i think empire is is probably my favorite of of any of this the star wars movies but it's it's hard to it's hard to fault uh you know a new hope for being the first one you know the, yeah. the one launched the whole thing do you have okay you know just one or two favorite apart from maybe seeing star wars with that molten cannonball in your lap that first time other favorite star wars memories not 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 scenes from the movies but just your personal experiences somehow with star wars it was really it, it was something that my brother and i just did together um for really our, our entire childhood. So my brother's three years younger than me. And, you know, looking back so much of our childhood was just really like fandom of star Wars. You know, we Mm -hmm. were, were, we were playing star Wars. We were, you know, we were getting star Wars toys. We were watching star Wars movies. um, Or we were, you know, as, as new movies came out, we were trying to, you know, figure out new developments and and things like that. Um, so yeah, I, I think that so much of uh, you know my childhood relationship with my brother was just sort of wrapped up in Star Wars lore and Star Wars imagination. Um, and that's I had a, a student a few years ago who was talking about it with me, and he said, you know, I don't even feel like any of the Star Wars movies themselves are that good, but he said collectively mm. they create something really amazing, and that stuck with me about Star Wars too, where there wasn't really just one movie that was going to perfectly capture this, but it was just sort of, you know, any, any toy or any movie was an entry point into this, you know, literal entire universe. Mm. Well put. Okay. So some early star Wars shit, Tyler. Oh, there's a lot of it. There's a lot of it. So I, um, was when I, you know, when I've, I've been loving your podcast, but when we had talked about it, uh it was like immediately i knew what shit i needed to bring to the show and um so i i contacted my mom and bless her heart she and my dad i was like i think it's a blue notebook and they dug through the attic and found this blue notebook where it looks like i have made three or four separate attempts to start my own star wars novel um and they bear no relation to one another at all it's not like these are drafts this is i've thrown everything out and started anew and i never get more than maybe three or four pages um because you were overflowing with ideas is that why? I overflowing with ideas and actually i remember i remember powerfully the feeling i had um i numbered the pages on my first start and I remember because I had read this Shadows of the Empire book and I went, wow, this is, you know, this is 300 pages. And so I numbered my pages as I was writing and I got to the top of page three and went, my hand is tired. 300 pages is going to take a long time. <laughs> it's just going to hurt my hand a lot. Yeah. This is going to take forever. Um, and so just being so discouraged by that of, well, how am I going to write page one to page three? 300 oh, but this is mid 
to late 90s did you say this is this is mid to late 90s so i'm i I don't know exactly how old i am doing this i'm in i'm a precocious elementary school student when i'm writing this right but didn't you have access to a computer by then oh good question or did you feel that the artistic (laughs) you know power you know i let's handwriting it (laughs) Jason, let's let's make it sound as if I made an artistic choice to mm. stick with a more physical medium here. Okay, I like I your artistic that, choice of sticking with a physical medium. You know that that deliberate uh, planting. I, I mean, you, you know, <laughs> you know that the greats wrote in mechanical pencil. Um, that's yes, that's where real poetry happens. That's where all the, the, the unfashionable joyfulness happens. It's true. When you have to, you know, reload the lead in your pencil, that's, that's when you're getting somewhere. <laughs> that's, that's what I always say. Yeah. <laughs> so here I'll, I'll do, um, I've got a couple, but here's, here's my first one. Um, and this is called the bounty hunters revenge. Okay. So this is clearly post empire. Yeah. This is post empire. Um, this is post empire, and you you'll see. I I return to some major. Even then, I knew that a good sequel is going to return to some some major uh, settings of what made the originals great. Mm-hmm. I knew. So, this is the bounty hunter's revenge. Suck it to me. The air blew through his long dark hair as Han Solo stepped out of the Millennium Falcon. I guess the only downside here is you're not going to be able to see how many of these words are misspelled, but (laughs) Han and Leia Leia had two children by now, Jason and Jaina. They were in Cloud City now just to visit. Jason and Jaina were at the Jedi Academy learning to be young Jedi Knights. Meanwhile, Han, Leia, Chewie, and Lando were in Cloud City just visiting. I really wanted to stress that we're just visiting. (laughs) This This is just a casual thing. Mm, Yeah. Han brought a blaster just in case they got in trouble. They went inside and started off to the freezing room just to see how it's changed. (laughs) (laughs) Who wouldn't want to go back there? You know, such good memories for Han. Yeah. On, On their way, they saw the blast marks on the wall. Suddenly a laser blast whizzed by Han's ear. They all looked over and were paralyzed in fear. The six bounty hunters who were after them before were at it again, but this time they were all together in it. Uh, IG-88, Dengar, Bosk, Zookus, Forlom, all led by the merciless Boba Fett. I thought you fell in the Scarlack, Han said. I did, agreed Boba Fett. Talk to Dengar, Fett said. He'll tell you. His helmet moved slightly toward Dengar. I found him by the Sarlacc, Dangar said. He blew it up and I rescued him. Han threw a glance at Leia, Lando, Lando and Chewie. They all nodded. They took off. The, the bounty hunters followed. Han, Leia, Chewie and Lando all started running. They didn't know where they were going, just started running. They ended up where Luke and Vader fought. They all drew their blasters, but Leia, Lando and Chewie ran away to Mm. get to the falcon and they were successful good han was left all alone with the six most ruthless bounty hunters in the galaxy he had to retreat 
But how? Now the others had escaped. The bounty hunters had blocked all the ways out. Here's my favorite. Boba Fett shot Han in the arm. Ah, Han exclaimed. Han didn't know what to do. There was only one solution. He did a flip over the edge and fell just as far as Luke did. Han ended up at the bottom of Cloud City. Then he saw the Falcon. They saw him too. They got him in. Thanks, Han said. Anytime, exclaimed Lando and Leia. Han got in the cockpit and they took off for Yavin 4. <laughs> okay. There's a lot of emotional depth to Han in, in this chapter, I think. Ah, he said, thanks a ah. lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. There's a couple of things that I love about this. Number one, you know, one of the coolest things about Empire is that that quick, that brief scene with the bounty hunters, right? That threw everybody into a whirl, right? Like, oh, yeah. IG, IG-88 is, has been one of my favorite characters ever since I first saw Empire. You know, look at that guy. And then, yeah, Bosk, he's the lizard guy, right? Right, right. They were super cool. All of them were cool. Uh, and then, of course, you never see them again, except for Boba Fett. And my friends and I were all obsessed with Boba Fett. I mean, he's so mysterious and cool. He doesn't say much. And we all thought he was going to be a super big part of the next movie, right? I remember my dad saying he's going to be a major character next time. He's got Han after all. We all thought, great. But then he wasn't. Uh, Unlike in your story where he shoots Han. (laughs) Right in the office. Yeah. I like how you brought, but you, you must've been just as interested in them too, because you brought them all back. You didn't just pick one or two. There was one. I remember it was like this mysterious thing that a couple friends of mine had talked about. Um, there was this book of short stories, Tales of the Bounty Hunters, mm. that they took each of these guys and gave them like a short story. Um, so it was an anthology of just a, a short story that was either, you know, how they got there or what they did later. Um, so, yeah, I was. Have you read it? Yeah, I did. I did. How, how was it? It's well, I mean, I, I read it as a kid. I think I have my copy of it somewhere in, in storage. Mm. Um, I haven't gone back to it since then right um but yeah it was it was a that was a a repeat checkout book from the library for me you know going back and it was you know like their their backstories um i remember ig88 you may make you might love him more i think they give him like uh i think therefore i am inner monologue where he's you know he's realizing he's a sentient being as he wakes up Mm. i I don't know. I don't think I could love him more, but because <laughs> I also, isn't he a, like a group? Didn't they make six of him or something? And then, then he wakes up and doesn't he kill all the rest? Kills the rest of them, I yeah. think. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I'm curious about why you, you say 80, 80, but you also say forlorn. Oh yeah. It's inconsistent, Tyler. It's, this is true. Who thank are you, you George Oops. Lucas? Thank you for your notes on that. <laughs> Well, that was action packed. I love how you, you know, yeah, Cloud City, all you return to the scenes of the crime, see how it's changed. <laughs> there were so many, uh, so many times where I'm, I'm using the word just to talk about their motivations, like 
clearly I, I needed them in cloud city and I didn't, I, I didn't have any reason for them to be there. I needed him to have a blaster, but he had no reason to be there. And I wanted them to go back to, to where, to the, the freezing chamber, but they had no reason to go there either. So right. just to see how it changed, just in case we run into trouble. Mm. Seems that your, your interest is way more in the characters than, you know, cause I think I might've dabbled in a little, <laughs> I don't know. So everybody did, or at least just playing with the, with the figures, but then we'd have to, we wouldn't have cloud city. So we'd make a, a new planet out of the, the couch cushions or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. And here is um, a mountain. It's a mountainous planet. Oh yeah. We haven't seen that yet, but you seem more concerned with the characters than the, than the setting. Like I'm, you didn't make up your own planet or your own. I didn't. Yeah, I, I didn't. And I was I was looking through these. I don't know that I did in any of these that I tried to invent a new place. I mean, I think we could argue that my inventiveness is very limited. <laughs> in this, we have established characters going back to established locations. Um, and, and Han Solo does essentially exactly what Luke does. It's just a different yeah, person. He felt he flipped over and fly. <laughs> Well, understood. Uh, I, next time I go to Canada, I'm going to have to pick it up. It, the first novel I ever wrote, a little earlier than this, but I, no, maybe not, around the same age, was a Hardy Boys novel that was Ooh. plagiarized 96% from The Tower of Treasure. Exact same plot, exact same characters, you know, with some drawings that were my own, I suppose. But, uh, yeah, I, it's just... I guess that when you're that age, you just like being in that world so much that you just want to recreate it. You know, you're not, and you don't really know how to stretch it out too much. You don't know how to. And I think it's, um, it seems like, you know, especially with something like Star Wars, it, it seems almost impossible that a person could invent all of this. Mm. So I think, you know, both I was living in the world and, and wanting to go back to it. Um, but also then sometimes I think feeling discouraged of going like, it, it, it's impossible. You can't invent all of these people and places and planets and, and technologies. It just, it, it, it won't work. Did you, but when you're playing with the, your Ben Kenobi action figure with your brother and so on, would you guys recreate the movies or invent new adventures? Oh, I guess we did. I, I we probably did a little of both. I don't mm. remember right now. Well, ask your brother next time you talk to I will. me. I will. Get back to me. <laughs> all right. Let's hear another one. Okay. Um, all right. This is, <laughs> this is my, this isn't as action packed, I don't think. But um, so in Shadows of the Empire, be, this is, you know, they, uh, Lucasfilm, they do their whole marketing thing and they do a video game and a soundtrack and posters and merchandise and everything. It's basically all of the, the merchandise machinery minus an actual movie. So they do shadows of the empire between empire and Jedi, but there's no Han because he's frozen. Mm. So they replace him with dash Rendar. Who's like a mercenary. All right. So he's, he's basically the same Right. You know, hot shot, sarcastic mercenary guy. It's even the same syllables for the name, right? You could same, just name everything. Yeah. Now, speaking of similar syllables and my limited inventiveness, I introduce his cousin 
uh, Dash Rendar's cousin in in this, um, and his cousin's name is Stash Tradar, not <laughs> not Dash <laughs> Dash Rendar. No, this is Stash Tradar. Hmm. My favorite, my abs. I think my favorite thing about all of these, um, maybe with the exception of the Han getting shot in the shoulder and saying, "I," yeah, is that Stash is completely clean shaven. There is no, there's not a trace of irony or a pun in his name at all. There is no mustache. It's just I was trying to rhyme with Dash. <laughs> is he? He's described as clean shaven. This was. This is made clear. Um, no, it's not made clear, but I promise you there is no, okay. <laughs> there's, there's, there's no echoes of, of meaning in his name. Were you, were you drawing as well as writing? I mean, are there illustrated covers to these things and so on? I, I have a, an illustration of, of Boba Fett's helmet in here. Hmm. Um, so yeah, I was, I, I drew a decent amount in elementary school. I, I did not draw stash. Um, More is the shame. Yeah, I know. I know. Stash trader. <laughs> stash trader. I might recycle that name for something. His, <laughs> I might too. His yeah. Cousin, his cousin who is <laughs> keeps a keeps a clean face. Yeah. Okay. So we get All some right. of some some stash action in this next episode. Yes. Yes. Right. So I, I, I return to him a lot. I think there's, you know, there's a number of possibilities here. Okay. Mm-hmm. This is a, this is a prologue. Okay. Mike, you sure you want to go alone? Asked Stash. Yeah. Said Mike taking off in his X-wing, a red ball fell from the sky, causing Mike's ship to explode. A TIE fighter zoomed overhead. Stash was filled with hatred. That's it. He thought. I'm going. Chapter one. It was miserable, horrible. This was not what he thought war to be. Ships exploding, people dying. He was an experienced pilot like his cousin, Dash Rendar. He started zigzagging through ties, blowing several ships up. Red leader, gold leader, rogue five, get to the core. What? They were leaving him out. Oh, well, Ray, his brother was in there. He could do it. But in a matter of seconds, the Death Star exploded. Wedge and Lando came out. Ray didn't. Oh, no, Stash thought. He's he's gone. Stash raced back where he came from. This was too bad. It could not be happening. And then I abandoned that one. We got nothing more. It just stops there. Stash loses everyone he loves. Yeah. And he goes home. Stash. It's like Hemingway. It's a Hemingway Star Wars novel. Yes, it is. And then Mike. I like how Mike. you you just abandon space names <laughs> for Mike and Ray. <laughs> and this is not what he thought war would be like. <laughs> Fighting. I'm, I'm, after, I'm after some big fish here. You know, we we start with traumatic backstory, and then we we move on to the atrocity of war. Yes, the horror. The horror. <laughs> Yeah, that that was chilling and turbulent, man. <laughs> and I, it, it was like, you know, I'm I'm looking at it now, and it's like I I stash loses uh loses his friend or his and then his cousin and then his brother 
it's like I, I keep giving him new motivations to do something, but he never actually does anything. <laughs> Again, he just goes, like, were you abandoning it because your hand was tired or you saw nowhere for Stash to go from there? Because I see everywhere for Stash to go. Or were you just bored? Did you get bored of the... I think that I... I, I remember thinking that writing a novel or writing a story was, you know, you, you write one thing and then you write the next thing and, and things keep happening. And it was like, I, I never knew how to string together ideas. I could never commit to like a, a, the next big idea that would make this an actual story. It mm. was just like, I would do little scenes and there'd be a little scene, but it wouldn't connect to another scene. Mm. Little episodic I keep layering these things on, but, but nothing happens. <laughs> right. <laughs> stash trader. I can't wait to check into a hotel and sign in as stash trader. Trader. Any, you got some more? Oh, I do. I okay, do. man. <laughs> All right. This. Okay. Here we go. Um, speaking of, um, my limited capacity for, for creativity. This is another bad guy, bounty hunter, but it's not, it's not Bosk. It's Nosk. Oh, no. And N O S S K Nosk. Nosk leaned back in his chair. He had a Jedi at his side an assassin at his side. And better yet, he had stolen a dozen of the emperor's Royal guards for his own. Yes. Life could not get any better. Next scene. Han was taking a nap when shots rang out, waking him up. Mama <laughs> nodded, drew his blaster, but never had time to pull the trigger. A shot took him right between the eyes. He staggered backward, fell to the ground, lifeless. Han jumped up, drew his blaster, and fired only for a maroon-colored lightsaber to block it. I am Taxo, a dark Jedi. Four talented guards came out and carried with them huge laser cannons pulled the trigger fired blasting the small group of rebels lasers out of their hands surrender or we'll dispose of you han leia lando and chewie exchanged glances nodded and began to put their hands up when suddenly a dozen shots went directly at the imperial gang striking all but one down taxor who fled Yeehaw, cried someone. Han, Leia, Chewie, and Lando didn't recognize him. What are you doing? asked Leia. Saving your butt from Imperial scum, he answered. I'm Stash Tradar, cousin of Dash Rendar. He raised an eyebrow. Perhaps you've heard of him? Leia rolled her eyes. Yeah, we've heard of him. Too bad about him, huh? said Lando. Han looked confused. What? Tell you later, said Leia. Hate to cut chit chat, but this building's going to blow up in five standard minutes, said Stash. And we're on the top floor. There's a landing pad on the roof, suggested Lando. Yeah, and my ship's up there too, said Han. 3PO said, there is another nice ship up there. That would be mine, Goldie, said Stash with a smirk. My name's not Goldie. It's C3. Shut up. Would you two quit arguing, said Leia. We better hurry up. We've only got three minutes. And that's the end of that chapter <laughs> as well. Four talented guards. Four talented guards. You know, I, I feel like the, the narrator should really appreciate the training of, mm. of his villains. Yeah. 
Yeehaw? Was it a Yeehaw uh, or Yahoo? That was, that was a no. It was, it was Yeehaw. Um, <laughs> Cried someone. <laughs> stash uh, back, and I, I really like that Stash comes in. I, apparently, I'm I'm so in love with the idea of this Dash Rendar that even Stash, after dramatically saving them, brags about his cousin. Yes, perhaps um, you've heard of him. Perhaps yeah. you've heard of him. <laughs> <laughs> I like too, though. But you've you know you've absorbed. You're allowed to to uh, to beat on C3PO a bit, etc. Yep, I, I know that's okay. Yeah. Huh? I don't know. I'm uh-huh. not sure. <laughs> I'm not sure Han was ever that clueless, but what? What? There's that, you know. There's that magical moment of inspiration, but then there's the slog of actually creating the thing. <laughs> and funny how that never stops, huh? Uh huh. I mean, I still get that for. I don't know. I guess it depends how you look at it. I, I, there's a quote from Robert Frost that I like, and I, I, I'm just paraphrasing, but he said, you know, poetry, poems never come. You know, it's always a throb at first, an idea, a feeling, a homesickness or something. You know, the, the words and, and so on come, come later. I think he's right. You know, you, you wake up. Or, I woke up this morning. I'd had a dream about in China during the the the, uh, the Cultural Revolution, oh no, during the Great Leap Forward, there was the eradicate the four pests campaign. And that was they they wanted to get rid of flies, mosquitoes, rats, and sparrows. So in order to get rid of the sparrows, kids were dispatched throughout villages to bang gongs and cymbals and stuff so that the sparrows couldn't land in the trees and they would have to fly till they dropped dead from exhaustion. Uh, <laughs> But of course, when you kill all the sparrows, then the locusts came back and with no sparrows to eat them, devoured all the crops, which led directly to the Great Famine in China, where something like 30 million people died. Anyway, I woke up. The first thought in my mind this morning was four pests, the four pests of China. And that's all that my note is for the poem that may or may not come, because as you say, there's the slog of actually (laughs) writing it. Mm -hmm. Uh, but there's something about that image of the kids banging on pots and stuff to keep the sparrows from landing in the trees. That yeah, there is. there's the throb, the you know the original thing of it, and then yeah, later the slog to come. So it never stops, does it? No, not at all. I think that I think that most of my writing career has been trying to figure out how to keep some of that that throb that feeling there throughout the process and that's just i think a series of trying to trick yourself mentally <laughs> where you never yeah. feel like you're 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 doing the whole work at one time is that what you did with when fire splits the sky so um, play these tricks to i think? i started a process with that that i've i've used since then um where i sort of got the idea for that and i I mapped out, you know, more or less a summary. Um, and then I wrote it up as a screenplay. Um, I started working on it as a screenplay and I loved that. Um, getting to focus on basically character dialogue, action and brief description. Mm-hmm. Um, I did that and then kind of translated it back from there. And it probably took me longer because I was, you know, doing two things at a time, but I really enjoyed every step of that. Um, so I've done that for anything long like that, that I've been working on 
since starting when fire splits the sky i've i've been working on that same way and i what, think writing it's, it as a screenplay first writing as a screenplay first and then coming back to it because i love the process of working on sentences mm-hmm. i have an extremely hard time working on a sentence at the same time when i'm trying to work on a story and so in a right. screenplay that's just notes for me I don't care what the sentences are. I'm trying to figure out, you know, who the characters are and what's going to happen. And then later on, you know, I spent, I, I probably spent two years at least working on just the pros of this and the story really didn't change at all. You know, beat by beat, the story was the same. Mm. Um, But then I, I got to, you know, zero in and focus on just, just sentence level work. Right. That's very smart, actually. I wonder if that would work for poetry. If I could write <laughs> the four pest poem as a screenplay. Pest one says. Says, pest one shoots pest two in the arm. And pest two says, <laughs> ah. Ah, says pest two. <laughs> and then I can flesh that out somehow. Exactly. A cousin appears. Yeah. Metaphorically, what is it that the, that the pest yells? Yeehaw, cried some pest. Yeah. And then the cousin, rest, appears. Right. Well, four talented pests appear, (laughs) actually, and whiz by my ear, I suppose. Yeah. I throw a glance and then see, yeah, you're right. It's working. Feel free. Feel free (laughs) to steal from that process for your poem. (laughs) Oh, I'd never... I've never heard of anybody doing that before. That's quite interesting. Locking the bones down and the action, and this is what they do. And then, yeah, two years on the sentence by sentence stuff. Mm. And I think that, you know, probably, uh, you know, probably better writers can do those things at once. But I I just find so much that, um, you know, other stuff I'd written, I, I might love a sentence and I might love the way that, you know, the the mood or the feeling of this scene is going but it's, it's, it's not moving things along or, you know, working too much on the sentence ties me up and then I, I can't advance a scene or uh, make any, any dramatic decisions about a character. So mm. this at least gives me a little time. I, I think that, you know, moving the plot along in character is probably naturally my weakest point. And so this just helps support me in that. And then I, I, I think, I hope, um, when I've I've had a couple people who have read early versions of When Fire Splits the Sky say like it it moves it has momentum, um, and so I think that's probably a, a product of having that extra support through the early drafts. Mm, yeah, it, it 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 worked well enough, and I I think more than anything, it, it worked for me. I feel like it resulted in a better book than I could have written otherwise. Um, but it it was fun. I didn't have um, I didn't have that period of time of just tearing my hair out and not knowing where anything was going. It was like, I was working on it in digestible pieces mm. for a long period of time. Um, and so the whole process was very enjoyable. That reminded me of something else, but what was it? You don't know, do you? I, <laughs> I don't, I don't. I haven't mentioned it. Uh, writing together uh, straight. Oh, I saw in that interview that I read on your website where you quoted, and I always get the names mixed up. It's not Annie Dillard, is it? She's the pilgrim at the creek. It's the An- Annie 
I forget, but shitty first drafts, right? Oh, and Lamont. That's yeah. it. Yeah, yeah. And Lamont. Yeah. Um, oh, I love that. I I just went, I just went through that. I actually give a version of that to some of my high school writing classes. Um that I had a, a professor give that to me in college and that that saved me. Um I got through a draft with with her in like a year. This project that I had been, you know, stalling on and procrastinating on and starting over. Um, and she gave me that and worked with me on that. And I think in, you know, in a matter of eight months, um, I had, you know, gotten through a full length project that I I had not been able to get through for for years and years before that. Mm. So yeah, so I, I think almost anything I do, um, I I sort of have tricked my brain into this is just one of 25 drafts. So we're just making incremental changes. Uh, it's it's going to be bad and the next one will be bad. And somewhere along the, you know, somewhere along the line, I forget that it's supposed to be bad anymore. Right. Uh, but I'm never try- I'm never trying to make it good while I'm uh, you know, while I'm sitting there working on it. So it's, it's always, um, it's always just going, okay, you know, we're going to, we're going to nudge the ball a little bit further down the field, but it's, it's always small progress. Well, just to make a poem or just to make a story, not even a genius poem or a genius story, but just to make one is such a hard thing Mm. that I think somewhere along, somewhere along the way to keep your sanity, you have to stop thinking that you're going to write something that breaks the mold, but just to create something that is, you know, beautiful and true um, or is complete, you know, to, to create something that kind of has that satisfying click as it all closes at the end. Um, yeah. That's hard enough. And I, I, I kind of think that, you know, those, those writers who have broken the mold, I, I can't imagine that they went around thinking they were breaking the mold um, either because that would trip you up in so many ways or, or, or maybe they did, but it, they'd be miserable people to be around if they thought that about themselves all the time. Mm. Yeah. Good point. Okay, man. Unless you've got something else you want to read, we're, we're coming up on two hours. So this is my uh, first, first podcast appearance. Really? I'm honored. And I had a blast. You've got the voice for it, man. Like you, you sound great. <laughs> no, I don't mean as opposed to this. It's not like you have a great face for radio. That's not what I mean. I, I just, I had a great time. And I feel like it is a, a natural fit for my talents too. <laughs> <laughs> I stash trader, man. It's great. Oh, you know, feel free to use that as well. Or maybe we could, you know, make a franchise out of them. Spinoff character of, you know, yeah. stash trainer who's lost everybody, everyone he loves and can't even grow a good mustache. Okay. Thanks very much again, man. Thank you for having me on, Jason. This was fantastic. Many, many thanks to Tyler for all that wonderful chat. Really enjoyed it. Check out his website at tylerjamesrussell.com and buy his book when it comes out next year. That's When Fire Splits the Sky. It's good. Thanks, as always, to DJ Max in Tokyo for the music, Wayne MD for the artwork, and Joe MD coming soon to Writers Read the Early Shit for helping with the intro. 
Many thanks also to those listeners who supported the show by going to buymeacoffee.com slash WRTES and buying me an imaginary coffee. Much appreciated. Thank you. Please like and subscribe and all that stuff. And feel free to join the conversation on Facebook and Instagram. Or just call me up if you feel like having a ramble chat. Thank you for listening. Back again in two weeks. Bye. Sasha, did you think that episode was interesting? A little bit. Do you want to come on as a guest one day? No, thank you. Okay, bye. Bye.